Hello and welcome to Angular Air. This episode is sponsored by Angular Class. If you're looking to learn the latest and greatest in modern web development techniques or you need Angular 2 training, then sign up today at angularclass.com. On today's show, we have panelists Amy Knight. Hello. Oliver Cohn. Hello. And Patrick J.S. Hey, guys. Uh, just some quick announcements before we get started. Uh, if you have any questions, uh, for any of our panelists or guests, uh, you can tweet with the hashtag NGAIR, N-G-A-I-R, and we'll get to them near the end of the show. Also, just a note that uh, next week we have our show with Alex Eagle and Blake Embry on TypeScript, uh, TypeScript Deep Dive, so definitely tune into that. But for today's show, uh, we're going to get into RxJS, and uh, more specifically, the upcoming release for RxJS 5.0. And for that, we have a very special guest, Ben Lesh. Hey, how are you? Ben, why don't you give an introduction to yourself uh, and a little bit about your background for anybody who uh, may not know who you are. Okay. Well, uh, as you said, my name is Ben Lesh. I am a senior UI engineer at Netflix on the Edge developer experience team. Uh, I'm also the lead contributor to uh, RxJS 5, which is a re redevelopment of, of RxJS. So uh, uh, for my Angular background, actually at Netflix I work on React and Ember apps, uh, but I was hired for my Angular background. So that, that was uh, kind of where I've, I got my roots. They actually found me on Stack Overflow because I had a lot of Angular 1 related answers there. So that's, that's how I was snagged by Netflix, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that, actually. I love it here. That's awesome. So for anybody who may not know about Rx, uh, RxJS, you want to give us a little bit of uh, maybe a brief uh, kind of summary of what RxJS is and what it does. All right. Uh, well, in, in brief, uh, RxJS is really about observables. Uh, it's, it's, it's the main thing is, is you have observables, and there are various combinators that you can use over those observables. Now, an observable is... Uh, an abstraction that can represent any number of values over any amount of time. Um, so you can do lots of set math over it. Uh, you can do things like merge or filter or map and that sort of thing. Those are those are the sort of combinators I was talking about. Uh, but what it, what it is is it's a, it's a primitive type for functional programming. Uh, they're trying to get it into the, the, the ES7 spec, I believe, for the TC39. Um, and uh, it's... It's very low level, so it's it's similar to like a promise, but it, it's for multiple values. So other than the ES7 spec, I know like RX has been around for a really long time. Why do you think that this is just becoming popular now? Uh, I think a lot of it, it stems from, I mean, it, it's been around for what six or seven years or something like that. The RX RXJS at least has, and I think a lot of it stems from. Uh, more and more complexity in the front end. So, you know, as, as you have a lot more moving parts and events occurring in your, your web app, your single-page web app, uh, it becomes easier to deal with some of those things and, and try to control the side effects of some of those things when you're using reactive programming. So uh, a lot of reactive programming libraries like, like RxJS and Bacon and, and Keffer and most have been getting more popular recently. So there are a number of frameworks that are starting to use Rx predominantly, one of them being Angular 2. Can you kind of talk a little bit about how Angular 2 uses RxJS? 
Sure. So the Angular 2, for the most part, the way that they're using uh, observables is, is in a more minimal way. They tend to provide observables for certain things, like event uh, events for uh, form validation is one area I can think of. They also tend to use observables to ferry events between different components. So you can have one component you know, provide an observable of events to another component. Um, uh, there are also another another place for where observables are being used heavily is in the uh, AJAX lib. So the the HTTP stuff that they've they've written and like AJAX JSONP uh, are all written around observables. So why do you think they may, uh, the Angular team has clearly like made a decision to use it for those use cases? Uh, you know, in, within the core, uh, underneath the scenes. Why do you think that they chose them for those circumstances? Uh, well, there's. There is some salesmanship involved in that. Um, I, I, am, I have a few friends on the team, uh, and I generally didn't like the overuse of promises for a single page app. Promises are perfectly fine uh, uh, primitive type. A lot of people think I, I against them. Uh, I, I, when I see them, I think this could be code smell. And the reason I say that is in a single page app, you know, you, you click a link and you go to a view. And right before you go to the view, or right as the view, you know, starts initializing, usually send out some AJAX requests, and that gives you back a promise. And you know, if I click that link and go to a view, and then decide, nah, I don't want that, and I go to a different view before uh, I get all of uh, all of that data back. If you're using a promise, the promise can't be canceled, so it's going to go through the logic of, you know, getting the the result back from the HTTP request. Uh, usually parsing the JSON, which can be quite expensive depending on the size of the payload, and then calling some logic. Now you might have a little logic in there, some little mutable bit where you said, "Oh wait, no, I canceled this. Don't do this one now." And and so you you abort what you were going to do, but you still went through all that other stuff where it was, you know, parsing the JSON or or whatever. And uh, that to me is is expensive and a little wasteful, especially if you're dealing with trying to put a single-page application on a mobile device or, or something that's resource-constrained. We mentioned canceling, but also, like, there's other things, too, like the retry and everything, right, where um, at least for not every, you know, HTTP call, but for a number of them, you might want to do multiple, um, like, retry a couple of different times in case you're accessing a mobile single-page app on, um, you know, a not that good of a Wi-Fi connection and that type of thing. Right, right. So, yeah, the the thing is, prom a promise is a read-only view to a future, right? So, at the at the point you have a promise, it, that really just says I've done something, and a, re a result's coming eventually, uh, whether it's a success or a failure. Uh, an observable actually is lazy, so it's a function. It's it's really, it literally is is just a function that says, give me some observer. I'm going to start some process or do something to get some async results or even synchronous results, and I'm going to I'm going to event those out on the observer you just gave me, and I'm also going to provide some logic for you to call to tear down those things if if you so choose. So it's it's really really primitive, um, and uh, the I the thing about it is that since it's lazy, anywhere that I hand you an observable. Since it's just a template for setting for tying a producer to to an observer, um, you know when you subscribe to it, if it fails, you have it right there. You can subscribe to it again. So it's kind of like if you were to take the promise and the function and and bundle them together, 
and then have it also return some some uh, cancellation semantic. So you can, if you wanted to, write an entire app without promises. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, it's uh, you can basically replace promises entirely in, in your app if you choose. And if you wanted to do that, uh, you know, you obviously inevitably will in, use li other libraries that are only emitting promises. You know, it's probably a rarity right today where a library you know actually emits observables and promises or whatever. Right. Uh, or, or observables instead of promises. So what, what is it, if you're uh, in this mindset that you want to try that particular way of using Rx out, um, what are some approaches or, or what are the things that people would have to keep in mind? Uh, well, Rx, Rx observables have a high degree of interoperability with, with promises, actually. So you can convert uh, a promise to an observable just by simply saying observable dot from and then passing the promise to it. Uh, a lot of most of the operators that would take an observable as a return value, so say flat map or merge map, switch map, all of these, uh, will actually accept a promise as well, uh, and it'll just automat under the hood say, "Oh, you gave me a promise." So likewise, they'll accept arrays or, or other types of collections like iterables, uh, generators, that sort of thing, and it'll just automatically under the hood treat it like an observable um, because they're all very primitive, and there's ways to convert between the two. Okay, so you can use um, you use RxJS in AngularUp two. Uh, you can use it in AngularUp one as well, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You can use you can use RxJS in any framework, really. You can use it without a framework. It's a it's a really primitive type. So to say that you know, can I use RxJS observables in my framework? It, it's roughly equivalent to asking if you can use a promise in a in a particular framework. Um, it, it's totally agnostic from from any particular framework. So but that's a good question. I get that one a lot. A lot of people think it's a specific like uh, Angular 2 thing. You, in fact, you can use Angular 2 without using observables, um, or at least without using all of the combinators and things. You might have to call subscribe on something here or there, but I, I don't think that you necessarily, you're not tied into their HTTP module, and you're not necessarily tied into using observables, uh, at least not the combinators and things if you don't want to. I, I mean, I don't recommend going without the combinators. There, there's some really powerful things you can do, but if you wanted to just do imperative programming like you would do with uh, with promises if you weren't really chaining thens very often, um, you can totally do that with, with observables. Yeah, you can always call to promise on an observable, right? Yeah, that's, that's there's, uh, so to convert, uh, an observable to a pro to a promise is just two promise, and what that does is it takes the last value emitted by the observable and resolves the promise with that. Or if it errors, it obviously uh, rejects the promise. The other way that you can deal with it is so for async await, uh, people oh this doesn't work with async await. There's a way you can subscribe to an observable with for each, and what that does is it subscribes to the observable in a non-cancelable way. You provide it one function for what you do with the next value, and then the error and success is actually handled by a promise that's returned. So when it completes either an error or in success, it, it resolves a promise. And so if you were to say await observable for each, you know, when that when that observable is done, the the await is met. So it doesn't return a value uh, because there's no value on completion of an of an observable, at least with RxJS5. So 
the, the difference in Angular 1 is that it's not embedded uh, within HTTP and all of this stuff. Uh, they use promises. Do you think it would be possible to write uh, some kind of wrapper or something that would replace all those uh, promises functions from Angular 1 um, with RxJS? I don't know. I haven't really thought about it or, or dug into it. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, you could simply not use those, and you could use uh, Ajax implementations that have already been written in in uh, RxJS. Uh, the RxJS 5 has one in the library. There's RxJS DOM for RxJS 4 and lower. It has, you know, Ajax and JSONP and, you know, all of these things, WebSockets. So it, it's... It, you could use it. I think it would be pretty difficult to get in there and you know duck punch the framework into using observables specifically. But I, I haven't dug into it. So, so speaking of RxJS five, uh, it sounds like from what I think I've uh, heard you say before that it was largely like a rewrite of Rx. Can you get into exactly what's changed, what has either you know improved or new features or anything? like that? Uh, sure. So the the well, some, some people often ask why it was rewritten, and the the main reason it was rewritten was uh, we started off with wanting to get better performance out of Observable, the Observable type here at Netflix, and also wanting to get better debuggability. Um, the older versions of RX use scheduling a lot, and when you schedule, it, it kind of ruins your call stack a little bit, or it junks it up at the very least. Uh, so we experimented with, I don't know, maybe four or five different architectures or, or designs of the thing. We, we landed on one that was very performant, and then we said, okay, well, let's start building, uh, let's start building some operators around this. And when it, when it started to mature a little bit, uh, we decided to, well, let's, why don't we go ahead and put, place this under the ReactiveX community, uh, which Netflix has a really good relationship with uh, anyway, so very, very strong ties there. And we'll just put a repo under ReactiveX on GitHub, and call this an alpha version, and 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 start running with it. So that that was the main reason. So the big, the big gains here are performance. Um, there's a, right now I think the average is per operator. It's about four and a half to maybe five times faster than than RxJS4. Um, the there is there's a PR sitting by Mr. Paul Taylor. Uh, there's a PR sitting right now that promises to, to actually increase it, maybe double that uh, in, in some cases. So it's the performance is much, much better. I know that on some of the resource-constrained devices that they deal with here at Netflix uh, and TVUI, so just to, to elaborate a little bit on that, your smart TV runs JavaScript. I don't know if people knew that or not, but it's it actually, that is the case. And uh, they have really kind of wimpy... Uh, they don't have very good resources, and they have weird run times and, and that sort of thing. So on resource-constrained devices, uh, there were some problems with performance with uh, older versions of RxJS, and uh, that was a lot of the, the driving force behind this, like people wanting better performance for those sort of things. Um, so that was, that was the big thing. Uh, other things are that we wanted to have some sort of easy uh, way forward uh, to comply with the ES7 observable spec. So if observables land in JavaScript, uh, RxJS5 is as close as you're gonna you're gonna get to having the native observable. And the idea is to, as they land, to try to make it match that as much as possible. 
Um, and then, you know, that, those are actually those are probably the two biggest things: are performance uh, and and the the ES seven uh, observable spec compliance, and then also the debugability story. It needs to be it needs to be better. So, uh, if it does land and like Babel starts picking it up, does um, RX five like offer? I'm I'm assuming it does offer additional features where people would still want to use that as opposed to just using whatever Babel would give them? Oh, yeah, sure. If, if uh, a really performance observable landed in JavaScript proper, um, we could honestly, you could honestly throw out the observable that's built into RxJS 5 if you wanted and just use the combinators. Um, I mean, that's almost, that's almost like an ideal situation, right? Like, we don't have to maintain a, an observable type. It's already there. Here's a whole library of combinators to use with, with this observable type. So, uh, speaking of combinators and everything, so are you, are you suggesting that RX5 will slowly become a polyfill? Uh, it could. I, I don't know if that's. I don't know if that'll that'll always that'll ever be the case. I mean, it's it's liable to be ahead slightly of of wherever that standard is, um, and whether or not that standard lands in ES7 is uh, frankly not up to me. Um, but I, I don't know. It looks promising to me. If if that is the case, ideally it would it would end up being more of a polyfill, uh, or perhaps a, a thing like more like Bluebird, you know, where people use Blur, Bluebird over native promises because it's faster or it performs better. Um, I could see some use case, some long lasting use case around that because sometimes native implementations of these things aren't aren't the most performant thing in the world. Uh, just a quick question on that. You mentioned that you don't have a say in ES seven. Um, spec, but uh, Jafar, uh, your uh, coworker, is uh, on the committee, right? So, like, he kind of is helping to push that along. Well, sure, yeah, yeah, I mean, but he doesn't do anything I tell him to do. I got oh. to. Him. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I don't, maybe I have some sway or something, but uh, not not much, <laughs> not much. Um, maybe if I if I took him out and got enough beer in him, I could I could get him to change things. But uh, it's for the most part that's been uh, Joffer and Kevin Smith, uh, who is Zen parsing on Twitter and GitHub, uh, driving that effort. And uh, you know I've been very active in the issues on that repository, but yeah, I don't I don't really personally have any hand in it. Um, where can you go if you want to have some documentation on RxJS? Okay, so documentation right now is an RxJS five is one of the things that we're working on the hardest to because we need all that to be solid before uh, a production release. Um, but right now you can go to reactivex.io, and there is uh, there are there's documentations for. Rx for Java, Rx.net, Rx.js current, and uh, soon to be landing more Rx.js 5 content there. Most of it carries over because most of the most of the combinators haven't changed that much. Uh, we also have some documentation at reactivex.io slash Rx.js, and that's case sensitive for whatever reason. We it's hosted on uh, GitHub pages, so you can get. Some documentation out there, and that's really what we're trying to flesh out is is th those those areas of documentation. 
the, the documentation on uh, RxJS4 is pretty solid, and most of it translates over. Cool. So um, the documentation for Rx has always been amazing. Like um, I remember stumbling upon Rx in the beginning and, and realizing, oh, wow, this, the way that they explain like asynchronous anything, like it was pretty amazing. So keep that up. Um, so there's a something else that I want to ask you, and that is like the the size of RX, and this has largely been like kind of a, a thing with RX is that you either buy into it or you don't, because it's like you said, it's a little very small primitive type, but you have a ton of combinators. And with RX, there's like RX all, RX lights. There's a ton of different versions to combat this. Um, do you think? Um, with the recent push of something like roll-up and tree-shaking support uh, with Angular 2, um, do you think you guys would have the same sort of level of support for RX-5 and uh, going forward? Well, RX-5 has been designed uh, to be modular from the ground up, so the idea, we, we do have some large global exports that we, that we put out, and you need those. I mean, you need... There's one we call RX Kitchen Sink because it literally just has like every possible combinator in it. The reason you need that is so people can play in JS bin or you know newbies that don't know what they want and don't care about bandwidth will just use that. Uh, but right now you can just pull in just the observable and only use the observable and not any of the static uh, observable um, creation methods or any of the combinators. That, or you could just say I want just observable and then also import map and it'll it'll tack map on onto the observable so you can use that so that the idea is uh, that if you've got a solid build process and you're using modules and in, in your your app as you would most likely with angular 2 um, you can you can use that and that way you're only bundling in exactly what you need from rxjs you won't have to pull in operators you might never use like expand or, or what have you Cool. So, so you're saying that, like, um, with the, this next version of RX, it's uh, modular enough that you can have like tree-seeking support, which is essentially saying that you would only use operators that you use uh, if your build system set up that way. Right. That's that's exactly right. That's exactly cool. Right. Awesome. So, like, there's um, there's some some criticism I hear from about RX, and that's like uh, managing back pressure. Uh, what is that, and can you talk a little bit about that? Um. So uh, yeah, actually, my my team at Netflix, uh, the word back pressure comes up a lot because it's it's mm -hmm. edge engineering. So edge engineering is all um, APIs for dealing with APIs requests coming from the cloud, right? And uh, you know you can imagine the scale that that Netflix has uh, using I think thirty seven percent of North America's bandwidth and all of the requests and people rating things and everything coming out in Netflix. The, the thing about back pressure is it's handled differently, say, from Rx Java to other versions of, of Rx. And Rx Java has the idea, not Rx JavaScript, just to be clear, Rx Java has the idea of uh, composing back pressure through. So when you subscribe, it gives you this on start event. And during your on start, you say, I want five things from the producer, and then it goes up through your observable chain, and it says, okay, give me five things, and it comes back down, and it, it does some buffering and some smart things in there if you've got zip operators or whatever, and that's that's how it manages. And then when you get those five things, you say, I want, you know, five more, and and so on. So that's that's managing back pressure in, in RxJava. 
RxJS opted not to do that because there are performance implications for that. And the mass majority of the time, uh, for especially in UI, uh, back pressure is not really a concern for, for dealing with async. However, you can, you can actually support back pressure with observables by taking a subject. Now, a subject is an observer on one end and an observable on the other end. And when you subscribe to an observable, you subscribe to an observable with an observer. So a subject can essentially eat itself, right? So if you have this subject and you prime it and you say, you know, give me five values or however you decide to compose the subject, and then it, after that it pumps out five and you, you tell some producer, okay, give me five more values, and then it sends five values down this observable chain, you get to the bottom, you realize you've gotten five values, and you tell the subject, give me five more. So the, the idea with for back pressure control with RxJS, if you wanted really a high level of control with it, is to essentially compose an observable that eats its own tail, if that makes any sense. But it's, it's a, honestly, it's kind of, kind of an edge case concern for most uh, UI apps. It's, it's probably not something that's, that's totally necessary. But I mean, there's, there's other things. There's, um, oh, there's the reactive streams effort. Uh, that's something that's being worked on in joint with uh, folks at Netflix and, and folks elsewhere in the ReactiveX community. And the, the idea is that uh, there, there's like a web socket where you've got this request this many, get this many sort of back and forth over a network. And I know that uh, we're, we're pretty keen on having RxJS be able to handle dealing with that. So it's, I don't know, that back pressure, it, it's not a primitive, you can't ever say a primitive type doesn't support back pressure uh, because it, it really just comes from the implementation. It, if anything, it doesn't, um, it doesn't support Support it quite as uh, cleanly or seamlessly as, say, RxJava does. Uh, one one thing that did come up was the idea that because R the the RxJS observable as it stands now without that back pressure composed through was uh, necessary or desirable because of performance reasons for most use cases, like probably 95%. That 5% use use case actually does come up here at Netflix where you might have some node service and it, it gets backed up and you do care about back pressure. And in that case, the, the kind of loose discussion was that, well, maybe we take uh, RxJS Observable and we, we make a sister library that has the same shape. We'll, we'll call it like Rx Flowable or something. And it will have that, that um, request, request structure that goes up through the middle of it. And the, there's been a lot of discussion about that. There was even a discussion of having an on-start event in RxJS Observable uh, because it's not very intrusive and just to kind of lead into that uh, if that was a future goal that we had. But there's, there hasn't been any work done on that as, as far as I know. It's just something that's been discussed. So I want to talk for a second about um, the reactive mindset that it seems like from what I've seen there are almost like two categories of people. Uh, there are people like uh, Andre, the uh, creator of Cycle.js, who's just like loves reactive programming, loves RxJS, and they just want to use it for everything and, and just totally bought in. And there are people on the other side that may or may not use it but don't quite maybe understand all of the use cases or when it's most valuable for and that type of thing. There, there's sort of like a learning curve there. So can you kind of talk about 
what's the best way for somebody coming in to get to the point that they understand you know, not only the benefits, but um, the use case of when they should be using uh, Rx and reactive programming versus not, so that they can kind of make those types of uh, decisions as they're um, writing their front-end app. Sure, sure. So, I mean, just to elaborate for the listeners a little bit about reactive programming, um, the idea of the reactive programming is if you have some value that's that's computed from other values, then when those values change, it automatically updates aforementioned value. So if you have A equals B plus C, then when B and C are are updated, it will automatically update A. That's that's the central idea behind reactive programming. Uh, these things are obviously useful when you're talking about uh, you know some of the like automatically updating your UI when when values change and, and that sort of thing. Um, Ember actually has uh, reactive programming built into it, but it's it's more of a pull base. They they do a thing where they notify, hey, something has changed, and all of these de things depend on it. So notify all those things that something's changed, and then next render cycle it goes through and, and says, okay, get the values, and it composes the you know through to to get those values. Um, so it's. Reactive programming isn't just RxJS. Uh, now, if you wanted to get into more of the push-based reactive programming like RxJS or Bacon, uh, my recommendation, honestly, is to just start small. You can use, um, I mean, you, you can use uh, an observable exactly the same way you can use a promise in that you can do imperative programming with it and subscribe and mutate some outer scope and go on your merry way. Um, but then you know, as you're looking at things and you're refactoring things, start considering that every single variable in your code changes over time. And if you have a variable that changes over time, it can be represented as an observable because an observable can represent any value that you know, any any number of values over time. You stick it in a single variable, and you say, "Here are my collection of values that as they change over time." Um, so you know that idea of a plus b equals c. I mean. Technically, A is then composed from streams of B and streams of C, and you know wherever those came from. And uh, I think the the attractive part for for people like Andre, people like myself, and others uh, about this is since you can represent basically anything in programming in an observable, you can start to you'll you'll start to see that oh well someone made this. Uh, mouse click that was my async thing, and now then I'm going to synchronously go through and you know, map it and filter it and do all this other stuff, and then I'm going to send out this way to some other, to some other uh, async, you know, Ajax request or whatever. And when that comes back, then I'm going to go and do this other thing. And, and what you start to see is how all of the data flows through your application. You can you can literally control the the flow of data, uh, and you can control all of the side effects, so you don't get any weird spooky behaviors. Um, that anyone that anyone that used Angular one, I'm sure, is is familiar with two way binding. Where you you get in a situation where there's like a there's like a triad of two two way binding and you update one and it updates something else and it comes back and updates yourself you know you get these weird back and forth you know kind of undesirable behaviors with two way binding um, you know you can control that really really well uh, with reactive programming. So I had a question, kind of this is along the lines of Angular two, but I know a lot of people are talking about using Redux in Angular two. Um, so can I don't know if you can speak to this, and Patrick might be able to as well. But 
Um, could anyone kind of like weigh the pros and cons between using re uh, Redux or Flux versus um, Rx? Um, I, I don't think it's really one versus the other. Honestly, you could, I mean, you could technically imp implement a Redux pattern in Rx. So it's, it's not really one versus the other. Uh, one is a pattern for state management, and the other one is a primitive async type. Um, so they, they can go together, or you could not. I, I don't know. I, I get asked that frequently. I get a lot of people that say, hey, what's... Uh, <laughs> What yeah, it's, it's a, sorry. It's a common question, which is why I wanted to ask it. So, um, are people just maybe not drawing the right conclusions then? Probably. My my uh, my experience, especially on, I think there's probably more people that understand Redux than people that understand RxJS, unfortunately, um, because it's I don't know. It's almost like we should have just named it just observables with some functions, like it. It or even just functions that tie observers to things. Like that would have been a better name for it because people get real bent out of shape about what it is and what it means. I, I think that uh, the patterns that people can do with RxJS, like the, you see these people building these huge functional uh, structures that do amazing things, um, confuse people because most people are used to imperative programming. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I don't know. I think people make it out to maybe be a lot bigger than it is. Um, and so that it, it lends them to want to draw comparisons to between RxJS and uh, Redux, uh, for example. Or like occasionally I see um, comparisons between RxJS and uh, like CSP and transducers, which is probably closer, but there's still there's two different primitive things. Um, one small point I was, I was going to say on that is that it seems like, with Redux at least, I, I don't have as much experience with other Flux libraries, but with Redux, uh, typically the store is somewhat similar to uh, like an observable in that you can subscribe to it and that type of thing. Um, but one, I've seen a couple different, different uh, implementations where, you know, the, the one that's more true to the basic uh, default kind of Redux implementation, you would just subscribe to the overall store, and then you kind of have to imperatively assign state values to your view versus, like, the full, like, reactive implementation, uh, something like Rob Wormald implemented where you have Rx, like, used to bind, uh, essentially, the, the view value to an Rx observable. And so whenever the store changes, Redux store changes, the uh, state changes, it would flow through automatically to the view. So there are some, like, small differences I've seen with the different, like, implementations. Uh, Patrick, have you seen that as well? Uh, yeah, so, like, I think one of the things that, that Dan was talking about, he keeps saying, mentioning this on Twitter, is that, like, with, with Redux you could, and this has been touched on this too, like, you can implement the same Redux pattern with a few lines of Rx, and that's because Rx is, again, just a primitive type. Um, but the difference really, uh, now I'm just going in tangent with Rx, I mean, with Redux, is that with Redux, it's a synchronous way of um, reducing over your, your state as opposed to Rx, which is you're doing asynchronously reducing over it. Um, so that's why, like, when you use Rx, um, you could reproduce a lot of the patterns, uh, simply. And so you don't... 
That yeah. might actually that might actually be a bit of a misnomer too. Uh, Rx, the internals of it, operate synchronously unless otherwise specified. Yeah. So the 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 just like any other application, you have the only async thing that happens is usually right up the front where you've created an observable from something. So you're going to create an observable from a WebSocket or from a set timeout or something, and those things are asynchronous. But then after that, when it nexts a value into an observer. Uh, the default scheduling in in RxJS five and actually in RxJS four is that hey let's let's do this thing synchronously let's just call this like right through uh, each operator until you get to one even actually even if you get it to a flat map and say inside of your flat map if you were returning a completely synchronous observable it's still not going to schedule on the next tick it's all it's going to go all the way through to your subscription synchronously so that that might even that difference, uh, you know, might might be a, a bit of a, a misnomer. It's it's. I probably should have reworded it. I, I probably should have said that you could use you could do asynchronous things, but you could manage it. Yeah. So it's it's actually one of the one of the attractive things about an observable. Just to, just to take a step back, is it, an observable can be a synchronous set of things, like an array, for example, or it can be an or it can be an asynchronous set of things. So if you have a function that accepts an observable, which would be kind of a strange API, but it, it, you could have that. You can have it a function that accepts an observable instead of an array. Then all of a sudden, the insides of that function can happen over time, like for each value, instead of you know having to do it all at once. You're not constrained to only you know synchronous arrays. You can you can go from oh I got this value from an array to oh I I'm getting values over a WebSocket and your code changes minimally, um, so that's that's kind of an upside. But it really, you're not stuck to that. It's everything could be completely synchronous with observable as well. So to to bring back to people who probably know promises more, uh, it's similar to like the the then chain where you could return. You don't have to return promises. You could return just an array or anything else. But if it's often to be a promise, it'll resolve asynchronously. So with observables, you could do the same thing. Uh, for the for the most part, so it it depends on it depends on what you're doing. So I think that uh, the the closest equivalent to returning a promise inside of a then would be returning another observable inside of like a merge map or flat map. Yeah. Uh, in, in 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 that case, I mean, you could just return an array in there, uh, mm -hmm. but you can't just return a single value. Like you can return any observable esque thing. You can return a promise. Or you can return any iterable, um, but like if you were just to return a number in there, uh, it's expecting something it can it can subscribe to. So in that case, um, yeah, it's it's not quite the same. Like it's not going to convert a single value to an observable. I guess maybe we could you know put up an issue and maybe do a PR to to support that. But I would have to see what the community thinks about about that. So you mentioned flat map. That's one of the uh, accommodators that's actually used pretty often in the implementations I've seen. Can you maybe like get into some of the specifics of what that's actually doing? Because that's, I think something when even people that don't know Rx, when they see other people's implementation, they're often going to see that. Yeah, yeah. So we actually named it, the primary name for it is merge map now, uh, and it, the alias is actually flat map because that's such a common idiom in reactive programming. But the idea is this: you you get some value in over your observable. It gives you any kind of value, and you take that and you map it into 
in observable. And then you flatten that observable back into your observable stream. So you've got a stream coming in, you map the values from that stream into observables, and then you merge all of those observables back into uh, the, the, same, the stream that you, you're creating, so into the output stream. So it's merge map. It's really map merge, but the convention is merge map or plot map. Um, okay. Um, now that we that RxJS uh, five is coming out, what's in line for the version six? Uh, it's for for RxJS six, what's in line? Is that what you're asking? Yes. Uh, boy, I don't even know. So RxJS <laughs> five isn't. It's it's not out to prod yet. the the biggest The biggest things that are hanging there are documentation. Uh, I'm sure there's probably a couple of operators from RxJS4 that, that people really, really would like to have. Um, most of that is, is in there, though. Um, but, I mean, once it's out, if, if I had a prediction about RxJS6, it would be that, you know, the, the ES7 observable spec pivots and the observable spec changes slightly for what's going to be introduced into JavaScript, and then we'll want to, you know, refactor the the uh, RxJS five observable to support those changes, and that that'll that'll cause breaking changes. So that would be a new major version. If, if I had a prediction, it would be that. Um, you know, the other thing that would be pretty cool is it, is if the ES and I I kind of doubt this one's going to happen, but if the ES Seven pipe operator landed uh, that might change things. So what a what a pipe operator is is basically if you have a function that takes arguments a and b, uh, you take some value, you use your pipe operator, which is a pipe and a uh, greater than symbol, and then you put the other function next to it. It takes the value from the left hand side and uses it as the first argument in the the function on the right hand side, and then whatever other arguments you, you pass to that. And the reason I like that is because that would mean that all of the combinators for observable wouldn't have to live on observable. They wouldn't have to be part of the observable prototype. They could just be functions. And uh, if that's the case, uh, really, there's maybe not even a, a case for having observable as an object, even. It, it could be the observable could just be a function. Because that subscribe method, when you, whenever you create an observable, you say new observable, and it, you, you give it a, a function that gives you an operator or an observer, and you take that observer and you, you wire it up to, um, you wire it up to whatever producer, and you return some unsubscribe logic. That that whole thing right there is the meat of what an observable even does. And then the rest of the reason it's an object is primarily so you can put all these uh, these combinators on its prototype. Um, if there's a pipe operator, there, there wouldn't be any need for that, and observable would simply just become a type of function. One thing I've seen that also causes confusion is object.observe. You know, that was a proposal for one of the maybe six or one of the previous versions. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and that sort of died. So. Is observable in any way related to object.observe? Uh, no, <laughs> no, it's that's just a that's a, a name for um, 
for a specific set of functionality that's that's pretty unrelated. It's, I mean, technically there's observation in there. Um, I mean, observable is more closely related to the observer pattern than than object observe, and I guess object observe is maybe loosely related to that as well. So, but that's it. That's that's the extent of the relationship there. Um, but yeah, you're right. That that does come up. Like people will say, well, you know, I need RxJS now that object dot observe is is no longer, you know, in the spec or whatever. And okay, <laughs> that's not that really. Not really related, but I'm glad glad to have a customer, I guess. Um, well, I, I have heard that a combination of observables getting popular and some other patterns sort of made it so that there's no one really wanting object and observe. I guess that's the one thing where maybe influence. Yeah, yeah, I think that you know the the idea with object observe is okay. So I've got this object, and I want to observe changes to it. Um, it's I don't know. It's arguably, in my opinion, anyways, it's kind of an anti-pattern. Like here's this, here's an here's an object. I I've just ran some code that changed the object, so that means I could synchronously know when that object's changed and how it's changed. But rather than you know write the code to support that, I'm just gonna watch it with some lazy you know event thing and wait for events to emit and you know, make decisions based off of that. I, I don't know. Like, it doesn't seem like... I think when two-way binding was a really hot idea, that was when object observe was a really big idea. But in, in retrospect, both of those things have, have kind of proven to have some flaws, right? Yep, definitely. So so speaking of, like, confusion and everything, what are, what are your thoughts on promises that could cancel? Like, if you could cancel promises. Like, some people are saying that we should be able to do this. There's a huge... Uh, a lot of a lot of people are saying like no promises shouldn't cancel it ruins the whole spec. Uh, what are your thoughts? What what side are you on? Uh, I'm on the side of they shouldn't cancel. I mean, as as much as I'll be like, oh, observables are better than promises for this particular scenario because they can cancel. Mm -hmm. Promises are better than observables for other scenarios because they can't cancel. Mm -hmm. uh, technically, you can cancel a promise not via the promise API, but you could cancel whatever's running under the hood and then just have it never resolve. But, uh, I mean, look, I think that's bad. I don't think that's a really good thing to be doing with, with your code in general. But uh, promises have a... One of the strongest things about promises is what they are. They're read-only, views to a single value, a single future value. So, for like, they make a lot of sense for things like async await, where you've got this... You've got this function that really has been... Really, it's two functions, right? Everything or it's n functions. Every, every time you see an await, that's like everything above it's a different function. Um, I've got a little bit of a problem with that with, with uh, teaching beginners, but um, for an await, you, you want a situation where this thing is definitely going to either resolve or reject. Like you, so a promise is a, is a perfect fit for it because you, it, it, just imagine if you look at the code and you think, okay, this code's going to run up to here and I don't even know if it's going to run past that because Someone could cancel it, so it's I don't know. I I, I think that adding cancellation to promises uh, is going to add a lot of confusion. And then what? I don't even know what's going to happen. So let's say you have a a promise; it's already resolved, and you keep it around for for caching purposes, right? And then somebody calls cancel on it afterwards. Do you still get the resolved value, or does it error, or do you get something else? Like what does it even do if you cancel a prom promise that's already been resolved? So hopefully nothing, I guess. But you know, you can 
subscribe to it after that. It's 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 just such a different type. It's not. I I am not super keen on on uh, the cancellation of promises. So you say that you shouldn't make a promise you can't keep. Oh oh oh. Yeah, I would, I would say that. Oh, what a terrible joke. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> On that note, um, we're getting near the end of our time, so I want to get to our Twitter questions. We have a couple questions that have been submitted uh, by people watching at home. So first off, by Erwin Dayton, who's asking about our discussion earlier with um, React and Rx potentially being able the use of Rx with React potentially being able to replace Redux, his questions were twofold. First of all, is that something that is used at Netflix? Like, in other words, do you guys just use Rx and not use, like, the Redux library? Uh, and if so, is that in a repo anywhere? Uh, well, I mean, when you say at Netflix, Netflix has a lot of engineers, and there's a lot of different uh, applications. Um, generally speaking, Falcor is being used in all of the front-end UI stuff that you'll see, uh, and it's it's dealing with most of the state management. Um, there is some RxJS in, in a lot of the, the UIs. Uh, I don't think that the Redux library specifically is being used in anything directly. Um, that's not to say that there aren't other applications floating around Netflix where people are using or aren't using Redux. It's um, arguably, Redux is a little more popular, uh, probably better documented, and it's it's much more simplified because it's it's very focused on managing state for React, right? Where RxJS, like I can tell you firsthand, we've not had any discussions in any you know team meetings for RxJS development where we were discussing state management in React specifically. So it's it's. Um, you know, it's a it's a focused library versus a, a library where you can do a lot of the same things. I think Dan Abramoff was the one that was quoted as saying that you could you could uh, implement Redux in a few lines of of RxJS. In fact, I think it's most it would be mostly like a scan operator would would do a lot of the work. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I, I don't see any patterns around here where it's leaning one way or the other. I, I do know that we don't use a whole lot of Redux, at least in the, the projects that that I've seen. Okay. And then we have a question from Jürgen Vandemore. Uh, what's the most difficult part of the source code in RxJS 5? What was the hardest to implement? Oh, uh, boy. The, you know, the, the difficult part, probably it probably isn't so much any individual piece of source code, what it boils down to a lot of the time is is uh, scheduling and rate race conditions and how those call stacks can build up. Um, but you know some of the more difficult things are some of the operators like group by or, or you know merge or these these sorts of things where you're dealing with managing um, inner subscriptions. So when you are managing creating observables is a, is another kind of weird one or like. Zip, where you are, you have you're subscribing to multiple observables, and you have to buffer every result that comes back until you have at least one of everything, and then you output one. And you know how do you make sure you know when it needs to be unsubscribed? So I'd I'd say that some of the operators that involve inner subscriptions are going to be the, the most complicated pieces uh, to deal with for sure.
Cool. So we have another question on Twitter from uh, Jeff Goodman. Uh, are there any APIs for synchronous observable inspection, like loading active error or incomplete? Synchronous observable inspection. So I suppose that you, well, I wish I could, could ask him an additional question because it sounds like the ask is, you know, can I look at an observable and tell if it's already errored? Is that maybe an accurate statement? Well, like the loading meter, I think he's thinking about, like you, um, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, Patrick, but I would interpret that as, uh, you know, you, you make an API call or something like that and you want to show, like, a, how it's 50% through the loading process or whatever it is. Right. So, I mean, for, for things like that, if you want to know what's inside of an observable, you simply just need to emit that value. So if, if you're going to do like a loading bar or that sort of thing, then you would subscribe to on progress in your XHR inside of your, you know, inside of your observable that is wrapping your XHR, and you would just emit each one of those, those values um, until you get to the very last one and then you complete. So that, that would give you an idea of the state. Now, there, there are other things like, um, there's things like behavior subject. Uh, behavior subject, you give it a value, and the next subscriber always gets the most recent value supplied to behavior subject, and you can examine it by calling, there's a value function that will give you the value that it's currently storing. So there, there are um, some mechanisms for that, but for the, for the most part, um, yeah, the general idea is you just have your, your observable emit what you want it to tell you, if that makes sense. Yep, definitely. Okay, uh, it is reaching the top of the hour, so it's time for picks. But before we get to that, um, just a quick reminder that next Tuesday, January 26th, uh, we're going to have Alex Eagle and Blake Embryon to talk about TypeScript and really get into the details uh, with the implementation with Angular 2. And then the week after that, February 2nd, we're going to have Pascal Precht on uh, to talk about learning and teaching uh, Angular 2. So for picks, let's start off first with Amy. Okay, so I'm pretty sure I've picked this in the past before, but because it's fitting for this episode, I'm going to pick it again. But I can't say enough good things about the RX uh, series on Egghead. So I thought um, from somewhat like a newer person's perspective, it was super approachable. So I think that will be my only pick for today. <laughs> OK, great. I'll, Olivia. Um, Rob Webman uh, made a video for RemoteConf. Uh, it's name Everything is a Stream. Uh, it's on YouTube. Really interesting. Uh, my second pick is uh, front-end newsletter. It's a new newsletter that started last week, uh, and it covers a lot of the front-end ecosystem uh, uh, separated by uh, frameworks and such. Uh, really nice to check out. Um, I don't know if I already talked about this one. It's an article by Dave Smith named A Developer's Guide to Interviewing. It's um, a lot of questions that you should ask when you're interviewing for a new job. Uh, and a lot of those questions, I just uh, thought that I should ask them next time. Uh, they're really interesting. And finally, uh, in one month, it's uh, NGNL in Amsterdam, NGNL 2016. So uh, I basically I will give a talk on how to write a library for Angular 2. Um, 
There are still some tickets available, so you can buy one if you run a Saddam at the time. And that's it. Cool. Thanks a lot, Olivier. Uh, Patrick. Yeah, so my pick is Read the Source YouTube channel. It's essentially a YouTube channel about uh, people going on and read the source. Uh, Mishko Havri, Credit Angular, also did a one on Zone.js, a definitely must-watch. Um, also, Jeff and I are, uh, are going on tomorrow for to talk about Angular Universal, um, so tune in for that. Cool. Uh, for my two picks, uh, first one actually related to Angular Universal. Patrick and I started having weekly meetings with community members who are interested in contributing. And so we have one coming up this Friday. If you are interested in getting involved, we're looking for people, uh, all levels of involvement, you know, just everything from as simple as writing some documentation to just trying it out with your own application. And if you, if you do do that, we'll actually help you uh, get Angular 2 and Angular 2 Universal implemented with your app. So if you want to be involved, just uh, ping me on, or Patrick on Twitter, and we'll get you involved. And then the other thing is the Patriots. So this, this is maybe a controversial pick, but uh, I'm a big Pats fan coming from Boston. So they're next week going to be um, battling their arch rival, Peyton Manning. Uh, so go Pats. All right, and Ben, why don't you give us your picks? I, I wasn't aware that their arch rival was just one guy. That's, that's really neat. <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, I'm going to pick not the Patriots uh, in almost every <laughs> uh, Other than that, I, I would say, you know, obviously I'm going to tell you all to go to um, the RxJS5 repo. Uh, check it out. There's a lot of issues that, that still need to be accomplished. And one of the best ways you can learn about how this stuff works is to dig into it and submit uh, PRs. And we are really, really happy to answer questions and patiently re review your PRs for as long as it takes. So that's, that's my number one pick. That's my number one pick. Awesome. We have a couple other ones uh, listed here. I'm, I'm definitely post all of uh, Ben's picks to the site. And if you do have any follow-up questions, feel free to keep uh, tweeting to NGR, and we'll be sure to follow up offline. Thanks a lot, everyone, and have a great week. See ya. Yeah. Bye. See ya.